Section 13 of Myths and Legends. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Myths and Legends of Ancient Greece and Rome by E. M. Behrens. Aedes, Pluto. Aedes, Aedonus, or Hades, was the son of Cronus and Rhea, and the youngest brother of Zeus and Poseidon. He was the ruler of that subterranean region called Erebus, which was inhabited by the shades or spirits of the dead, and also by those dethroned and exiled deities who had been vanquished by Zeus and his allies. Aedes, the grim and gloomy monarch of this lower world, was the successor of Erebus, that ancient primeval divinity after whom these realms were called. See footnote 131. The early Greeks regarded Aedes in the light of their greatest foe, and Homer tells us that he was of all the gods the most detested, being in their eyes the grim robber who stole from them their nearest and dearest, and eventually deprived each of them of their share in terrestrial existence. His name was so feared that it was never mentioned by mortals who, when they invoked him, struck the earth with their hands, and in sacrificing to him, turned away their faces. The belief of the people with regard to a future state was, in the Homeric age, a sad and cheerless one. It was supposed that when a mortal ceased to exist, his spirit tenanted the shadowy outline of the human form it had quitted. These shadows, or shades as they were called, were driven by Aedes into his dominions, where they passed their time, some in brooding over the vicissitudes of fortune which they had experienced on earth, others in regretting the lost pleasures they had enjoyed in life but all in a condition of semi-consciousness from which the intellect could only be roused to full activity by drinking of the blood of the sacrifices offered to their shades by living friends, which, for a time, endowed them with their former mental vigor. The only beings supposed to enjoy any happiness in a future state were the heroes, whose acts of daring and deeds of prowess had, during their life, reflected honor on the land of their birth, and even these, according to Homer, pined after their career of earthly activity. He tells us that when Odysseus visited the lower world at the command of Circe, and held communion with the shades of the heroes of the Trojan War, Achilles assured him that he would rather be the poorest day-laborer on earth than reign supreme over the realm of shades. The early Greek poets offer but scanty allusions to Erebus. Homer appears purposely to envelop these realms in vagueness and mystery, in order, probably, to heighten the sensation of awe inseparably connected with the lower world. See footnote 132. In the Odyssey, he describes the entrance to Erebus as being beyond the furthermost edge of Oceanus in the far west, where dwelt the Cimmerians, enveloped in eternal mists and darkness. In later times, however, in consequence of extended intercourse with foreign nations, new ideas became gradually introduced, and we find Egyptian theories with regard to a future state taking root in Greece, which become eventually the religious belief of the whole nation. It is now that the poets and philosophers, and more especially the teachers of the Eleusinian mysteries, begin to inculcate the doctrine of the future reward and punishment of good and bad deeds. Aedes, who had hitherto been regarded as the dread enemy of mankind, who delights in his grim office and keeps the shades imprisoned in his dominions after withdrawing them from the joys of existence, now receives them with hospitality and friendship, and Hermes replaces him as conductor of shades to Hades. 
Under this new aspect, Aedes usurps the functions of a totally different divinity called Plutus, the god of riches, and is henceforth regarded as the giver of wealth to mankind in the shape of those precious metals which lie concealed in the bowels of the earth. The later poets mention various entrances to Erebus, which were for the most part caves and fissures. There is one in the mountain of Tenerum, another in Thesprotia, and a third, the most celebrated of all, in Italy, near the prestiferous lake Avernus, over which it is said no bird could fly, so noxious were its exhalations. In the dominions of Aedes there were four great rivers, three of which had to be crossed by all the shades. These three were Archeron, Sorrow, Cocytus, Lamentation, and Styx, Intense Darkness, the sacred stream which flowed nine times round these realms. The shades were ferried over the sticks by the grim, unshaven old boatman, Charon, who, however, only took those whose bodies had received funeral rites on earth, and who had brought with them his indispensable toll, which was a small coin or obulus, usually placed under the tongue of a dead person for this purpose. See footnote 133. If these conditions had not been fulfilled, the unhappy shades were left behind to wander up and down the banks for a hundred years as restless spirits. On the opposite bank of the Styx was the tribunal of Minos, the supreme judge before whom all shades had to appear, and who, after hearing full confession of their actions whilst on earth, pronounced the sentence of happiness or misery to which their deeds had entitled them. This tribunal was guarded by the terrible triple-headed dog Cerebus, who, with his three necks bristling with snakes, lay at full length on the ground, a formidable sentinel who permitted all shades to enter, but none to return. The happy spirits, destined to enjoy the delights of Elysium, passed out on the right, and proceeded to the golden palace where Aedes and Persephone held their royal court, from whom they received a kindly greeting, ere they set out for the Elysian fields which lay beyond. See footnote 47. This blissful region was replete with all that could charm the senses or please the imagination. The air was balmy and fragrant, rippling brooks flowed peacefully through the smiling meadows, which glowed with the varied hues of a thousand flowers, whilst the groves resounded with the joyous songs of birds. The occupations and amusements of the happy shades were of the same nature as those which they had delighted in whilst on earth. Here the warrior found his horses, chariots, and arms, the musician his lyre, and the hunter his quiver and bow. In a secluded vale of Elysium there flowed a gentle, silent stream called Leith, Oblivion, whose waters had the effect of dispelling care and producing utter forgetfulness of former events. According to the Pythagorean doctrine of the transmigration of souls, it was supposed that after the shades had inhabited Elysium for a thousand years, they were destined to animate other bodies on earth, and before leaving Elysium they drank of the river Leith, in order that they might enter upon their new career without any remembrance of the past. See footnote 134. The guilty souls, after leaving the presence of Minos, were conducted to the great judgment hall of Hades, whose massive walls of solid adamant were surrounded by the river Phlegathon, the waves of which rolled flames of fire and lit up with their lurid glare these awful realms. In the interior sat the dread judge, Rhadamanthus, who declared to each comer the precise torments which awaited him in Tartarus. The wretched sinners were then seized by the Furies, who scourged them with their whips and dragged them along to the great gate, 
which closed the opening to Tartarus, into whose awful depths they were hurled to suffer endless torture. Tartarus was a vast and gloomy expanse, as far below Hades as the earth is distant from the skies. There the Titans, fallen from their high estate, dragged out a dreary and monotonous existence. There also were Otis and Ephialtes, those giant sons of Poseidon who, with impious hands, had attempted to scale Olympus and dethrone its mighty ruler. Principal among the sufferers in this abode of gloom were Tidius, Tantalus, Sisyphus, Ixion, and the Danaides. Tidius, one of the earth-born giants, had insulted Hera on her way to Pitho, for which offense Zeus flung him into Tartarus, where he suffered dreadful torture inflicted by two vultures, which perpetually gnawed his liver. Tantalus was a wise and wealthy king of Lydia, with whom the gods themselves condescended to associate. He was even permitted to sit at table with Zeus, who delighted in his conversation and listened with interest to the wisdom of his observations. Tantalus, however, elated at these distinguished marks of divine favor, presumed upon his position and used unbecoming language to Zeus himself. He also stole nectar and ambrosia from the table of the gods, with which he regaled his friends. But his greatest crime consisted in killing his own son, Pelops, and serving him up at one of the banquets to the gods in order to test their omniscience. See footnote 135. For these heinous offenses he was condemned by Zeus to eternal punishment in Tartarus, where, tortured with an ever-burning thirst, he was plunged up to the chin in water, which, as he stooped to drink, always receded from his parched lips. Tall trees with spreading branches laden with delicious fruits hung temptingly over his head, but no sooner did he raise himself to grasp them than a wind arose and carried them beyond his reach. Sisyphus was a great tyrant who, according to some accounts, barbarously murdered all travelers who came into his dominions by hurling upon them enormous pieces of rock. In punishment for his crimes, he was condemned to roll incessantly a huge block of stone up a steep hill, which, as soon as it reached the summit, always rolled back again to the plain below. Ixion was a king of Thessaly to whom Zeus accorded the privilege of joining the festive banquets of the gods. But taking advantage of his exalted position, he presumed to aspire to the favor of Hera, which so greatly incensed Zeus that he struck him with his thunderbolts and commanded Hermes to throw him into Tartarus and bind him to an ever-revolving wheel. The Danaides were the fifty daughters of Danus, king of Argos, who had married their fifty cousins, the son of Egyptus, by the command of their father, who had been warned by an oracle that his son-in-law would cause his death, they all killed their husbands in one night, Hypermnestra alone excepted. Their punishment in the lower world was to fill with water a vessel full of holes, a never-ending and useless task. Aedes is usually represented as a man of mature years and stern majestic mien, bearing a striking resemblance to his brother Zeus. But the gloomy and inexorable expression of the face contrasts forcibly with that peculiar benignity which so characterizes the countenance of the mighty ruler of heaven. He is seated on a throne of ebony with his queen, the grave and sad Persephone, beside him, and wears a full beard and long flowing black hair, which hangs straight down over his forehead. See footnote 136. In his hand he either bears a two-pronged fork or the keys of the lower world, and at his feet sits Cerberus. He is sometimes seen in a chariot of gold, drawn by four black horses, and wearing on his head a helmet made for him by the Cyclops, which rendered the wearer invisible. 
This helmet he frequently lent to mortals and immortals. Aedes, who was universally worshipped throughout Greece, had temples erected to his honor in Elis, Olympia, and also at Athens. His sacrifices, which took place at night, consisted of black sheep, and the blood, instead of being sprinkled on the altars or received in vessels, as at other sacrifices, was permitted to run down into a trench dug for this purpose. The officiating priests wore black robes and were crowned with cypress. The Narcissus, maiden hair, and cypress were sacred to this divinity. Pluto. Before the introduction into Rome of the religion and literature of Greece, the Romans had no belief in a realm of future happiness or misery corresponding to the Greek Hades. Hence they had no god of the lower world identical with Hades. They supposed that there was in the center of the earth a vast, gloomy, and impenetrably dark cavity called Orcus, which formed a place of eternal rest for the dead. But with the introduction of Greek mythology, the Roman Orcus became the Greek Hades, and all the Greek notions with regard to a future state now obtained with the Romans, who worshipped Hades under the name of Pluto, his other appellations being Dis, from Dives, Rich, and Orcus from the dominions over which he ruled. In Rome there were no temples erected to this divinity. Plutus Plutus, the son of Demeter, and a mortal called Iasion, was the god of wealth, and is represented as being lame when he makes his appearance, and winged when he takes his departure. He was supposed to be both blind and foolish because he bestows his gifts without discrimination, and frequently upon the most unworthy objects. Plutus was believed to have his abode in the bowels of the earth, which was probably the reason why, in later times, Aedes became confounded with this divinity. End of section 13. Recording by Anthony Wilson.